Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a good description of our lives where very often we want to satisfy our passions and immediate desires while acting in a way that's contrary to God's designs and desires for us. And in the moment, it seems like the best course of action because we lack the faith that we should live in God's world, God's way. And then when we reap the fruit of death that comes from our sin, we wish that we had God's blessing instead, but we're already tasting of the death that we brought into the world through our Esau syndrome addiction. Welcome back to the Resurrection Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Downs, and with me are Matthew Vitamin and AJ Molnix. Welcome back, guys. We are in the studio together for the first time in a couple of weeks. Feels great to be back and healthy. AJ, how are you doing? I'm getting there. Okay. Yep. Well, if you're praying for AJ and you believe that prayers work retroactively, pray for AJ, and hopefully your prayers will transport backward in time and he'll get healthy soon. Matthew, I know AJ does not care about American football, but you and I do care about football. I care, I care about care. European football. Do you want to talk about that? No. I know nothing about that. I'd have nothing to say. Same. Ugh. Now, we are in the heart of the National Football League season. There are two teams that I really appreciate watching, even though sometimes I don't appreciate them because they lose. I like watching Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and I like watching the Vikings, our very own Minnesota Vikings. They are both doing pretty well overall. Vikings surprisingly well. Yeah. How? I mean, I don't want to ask you too much about the Vikings because you probably don't want to say anything positive. But no, 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 no. Quite the contrary. But I think in the past, whenever I've looked at Kirk Cousins playing, I think this guy gets all the good stats, can't win a single game. But now it's kind of like flipping where he's not getting as great stats, but they're actually pulling out wins, even coming up from behind on occasion. Right. Yeah. Now, no, I, I don't mind saying good things about the Vikings. That's a um, insert word I can't think of. A misnomer I want to okay. correct. Yeah. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, grammatically? You, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh being a Packers fan, well, the Packers are really bad this year. They're not going anywhere. And even though they're in the same division as the Vikings, if the Vikings are good, that's fine. More power to them. Yeah, so I meet Richard every Tuesday morning at 6:30 a.m. Though this past Tuesday, I forgot that I I forgot to tell him I couldn't come because I got called into jury duty. So I stood him up. But the last time I was there, last Tuesday, I always talk with the lady working the register for a little bit. She's a Packers fan. Okay. And she told me, after another Packers loss, Aaron Rodgers needs to go. <laughs> I have not heard that from any Packers fan ever. What do you think about that? How should we be thinking about this comment about letting Aaron Rodgers go? No, he doesn't need to go. The... I think they overestimated his ability by letting Devontae Adams go because basically once they let Devontae Adams go, the team is just kind of sank because they have nobody to throw to. And 
not only that, they have nobody to throw to, but they have two good running backs that they kind of use, but not enough. I mean, he threw so few throws this past game. Well, I didn't. It was even, pretty incredible. I didn't even catch the last game. Yeah, neither did any of his receivers. Uh... <laughs> there it is. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. Now, uh, Tom Brady ended his losing streak. Yeah. Longest losing streak of his career. They had a really crappy game. They mm-hmm. barely won. And I watched 30 seconds of him in the press room. He walked in and sat down and said, that felt so good. And I'm <laughs> sure it did feel good not to lose. But it's hard to imagine him saying that about such a really bad game. Well, I mean, kind of. But how many games that they lost in a row? Like five or four or five? I don't know. I mean, them and the Packers both. We're on massive losing streaks, and the Packers still are, but yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting year. The Jets beat the Bills last week. Seriously, both and the New Chiefs York had teams lost are to good. The Bills. Yeah. yeah, good grief. So, it's and a, Jets are now eight and zero. No, they're like six and two. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Eagles. Oh, the Eagles. Yeah, they're like eight. Eagles and are eight and zero. Yeah, there are seventeen games. Yeah, so they're over halfway through the year. Almost. Almost. I don't know math. I can't do numbers. I'm a word guy, not a number guy. That's all right. But um, if they want, if they win one more, right. even if they lose every game the rest of the season, they'll be 500. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Also, was very entertaining to watch the Bears Dolphins game with Justin Fields has been like he figured something out like three weeks ago, and he set the record for most rushing yards in a game by a quarterback. Huh. That's against, crazy. Against the Dolphins. And he had three touchdowns passing. So he had a pretty bonkers Incredible. game. Yeah. Bananas. So there's a lot of bananas things happening in the NFC North. Also yeah. AFC West. Yep. All over the place in the NFL. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, we don't usually talk a lot of football, but we're almost halfway through the season. I thought we were halfway through because I can't do math. Well, But there is no halfway because right. there are 17 games in the regular season. Right. So we're at eight. I mean, this is almost halfway. Yeah. It's like halfway in the middle of the week. And it's Thursday, which right. starts a new week. So we're kind of halfway. Right. Yeah, yeah there's a game tonight. Panthers-Falcons, actually. Oh, Ooh, look at that. Someone has Amazon Prime. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> also, Is that I, how you knew about it? No, I'm just excited to watch it with my roommate, Matthew. Yeah, I invited him to watch it with me tonight. Stop it. Yeah, so it sounds like he did a little research. And I didn't get an invite, huh? No. That's fine. No. It's whatever. He made fun of my couches. You can come over then. Yeah, I got to go home and walk the dog. Well, up to this point in our podcast, hopefully people have been enjoying our football conversation. Some people don't watch American football, which is fine. So I would recommend that you just use this as a way to fall asleep at night as you hear us talk about football and you are really, really bored. I want to tell you about a book. This book is called 52 Weeks in the Word, a companion for reading through the Bible in a year. It's put together by Trilla Newbell. It's published by Moody Press. AJ, why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? Yeah, so this book was released November 1st. So it just came out. And since we are a podcast that is reading through the Bible in a year, it caught my attention. Yeah, so this is just a newly released resource for people that are trying to read through the Bible. 
It has a reading plan. It has some scripture prompts for you to to read through, places for journaling, prompts for you to pray for that portion of scripture. So I reached out to the publisher, and they sent us a review copy. So we have that here. Aaron, you've looked through it. Uh, what do you think of it? Yeah, so I think that it's primarily marketed towards women. Part of that comes out in the design of the book. It the is laid, it's out. laid out. It's laid out nice. I, I think it's, um, yeah, but, it, look, it looks good. But even in the recommended resources at the end of the book, it's like a recommendation for a women's Bible study. So it really is, I think, kind of geared towards the more feminine among us. So it doesn't have quite a masculine look, though I don't think I would be embarrassed to be seen with it. I think it's a beautiful book. Um, It's not really a devotional. It's more of a calendar slash journal slash guide with a few devotional thoughts. So if you're looking for a full explanation of every portion of the Bible, this is not what it is. Instead, I think this is more of a tool that will help you as you go through the Bible in a year. And I think that could be really helpful for some people because some of us just need a system to plug into, and then we can get through a lot of things. And I think that's what this provides. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. It's an it's an it's a tool for you. It the subtitle is a companion, and like you said, it's not the commentary for the scripture companion, but it's a companion that's primarily structure, and so it gives you in a nice layout the portions of scripture, places for you to journal, prompts for you to pray and reflect on that reading. But that is about it. Yeah. So I think it would pair really well with that book we previously recommended, How to Read the Bible Book by Book, because that has a brief explanation for like every paragraph in the Bible. This will give you some space to take some notes, to track along with the reading plan, and at the end of the week to read a nice little devotional reflection. So thank you to Moody Press for sending that our way. And we want to let our listeners know that we don't want to hang up onto this. We want to offer this to you. And AJ will tell you about how you potentially could get our one copy of this book. Okay, so the way to win our one copy of this reading plan book is to send an email to Aaron at clbcmn.org. And if you are the first person to send this email with your name and how we can get this book to you. Also credit card number and so. (laughs) Right. The book is yours, but there is a caveat. Someone could jump above the person above them if they ask a question for us to answer on the podcast. So if you are the first person who emails us and asks a question, then it's yours. But if you just send us an email, does not have a question for us to answer on the podcast, then it's possible someone after you could get this book instead. Well, and let us know how you would like us to get the book to you. If you're a local, if you're in the South Metro area, perhaps one of us will drop it off at your house. If you're further away, we can mail it to you or you can drop by our church in either case. I was going to say, you left that a little open-ended. Let us know how you'd like us to get it to you. What if they live 20 miles away and they say, I want you to walk it to me? Yeah, I feel like if someone is asking me to walk it to them, 
I'll accidentally delete the email and whoever emails next will be the recipient of the book. Okay. All right. Just wanted to clear that up. Yeah. Unless they live within like a block or two and then I'll walk it over. Okay. I can use the exercise. I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. I might even bring Harper. Oh. Take her on a little walk. She could carry the book. She actually could. In a doggy satchel. Mm, I'd have to buy one of those. All right. But she's strong enough. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Moody Publishers, for sending us this book. And because you're probably listening, if you'd like us to talk about any other of your products, we're always happy to do that. So you can send it our way. I got up super early because the dog was barking at like 3.45. I know I'm not getting back to sleep. And I start the coffee. I start reading the Bible. And I'm reading for like 20 minutes. I'm like, this is sounding familiar. It's probably because it's my second read through, like whatever, you know. And I realized I was reading Jeremiah the whole time. Oh, I I felt so stupid after I realized that this isn't (laughs) what I should be reading for today. Wow, I'm sorry. Does that happen to you when you wake up early and you just like get in the zone, but then you're doing what you should be doing at that time, but not. You're doing the wrong thing. (laughs) Right category, wrong action. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, oh, you're, you're I can't believe morning. that that's happened. Okay. I was off my, I'm sorry, but I'm proud of you for reading through the Bible two times in one year. Well, I didn't do that for everything, but. Oh. It happened every morning this year. <laughs> yeah. You were kind of posturing as if your daily practice was to get up early and reread the Bible reading for the year. No, I, I really just wanted to. So I think this is actually a good lead into Ezekiel because there are some crazy things that is occurring are occurring in our reading and further on. I agree. Aaron agrees. I concur. Matthew, what did you think of this guy, Ezekiel, that we kind of open up on? He's sitting by a river and God gives him a vision. I mean, it reminded me of some country songs I've listened to that involve rivers. That's the first thing that came to my mind, too. Yeah. Wow. Aaron, big country. Er, yeah, he's he's a big country music fan. Brad Paisley was on the television last night. Ooh, what for channel? A little bit. He was on this food show that I was watching. Is that your oh. guy, Brad? No. He is now. No, but that was the closest thing. But you are a big fan of Paisley Ties. Has Brad Paisley ever thought about starting a company called paisley's ties or he sells paisley ties it should be brad paisley's ties one thing that i noticed about ezekiel that was different than jeremiah a book that i may have read recently again on accident but is that these there are visions that god gives this prophet who was going to be a priest or is a priest and now he's a prophet because God starts giving him visions. And yeah, and isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. He's a priest and prophet. Yeah, right? And from what I read, I don't know how accurate this is, is that you know it, it comes in his 30th year, and that's kind of the year that you would kind of step up and actually start performing or, or becoming a more official yeah, priest. Yeah, I, is I that think right? that the Torah regulated that priests served from age 30 to age 50. Okay. Something like that. It's Don't quote me on that, but I think somewhere right. in that range is correct. So he would have been a priest if he was near the temple, but he's in exile with the people in Babylon. Yeah, and, and in fact, we're going to see the glory of God leaving the temple in Aaron, this vision. 
getting ahead of getting ahead of us. Oh man, rein so, me back in. Pull me back. Alert. Okay, so age thirty, he was going to be a priest. God gives him a vision. Now he's a prophet, and he has this message to tell because God's making him eat this scroll or something. But it seems like what I was going to say is that the visions that he's given are not as, or at least not compiled in a way that are, it's not as tough to follow. It seems like they're mostly chronological. Yeah, so I'd say more chronological, but also more apocalyptic and more difficult to follow in that way. Is that why most of the quotations of Ezekiel in the New Testament is in Revelation? Yeah, it's fitting with that genre, right? So if you read Second Temple literature, this way of describing things is far more common and it fits with this whole genre, but it's not what we see in Jeremiah that often. In fact, if we if we called Jeremiah the weeping prophet, I would propose that we call Ezekiel the bizarre prophet because so many bizarre things happen in his visions and in what God asks him to do. Dude, some of those sign act things are pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, Jeremiah had his own difficulties, but I think Ezekiel had... And we'll see this when we get beyond our reading for this week when it comes to his wife. But Ezekiel had to carry out some crazy sign acts, and he had just some heart-wrenching experiences as part of those sign acts. And I think what you're talking about is after our reading, right? Yeah. Okay. So in college, I took a class called Ezekiel and, or Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And I remember getting to Ezekiel and thinking, this is bizarre. This is bananas. One thing that I thought was interesting was that I don't think it ever happened, but I wrote half. I wrote a note halfway through. Is that we never see a response from the people? Like he's supposed to be giving these messages, but it seems, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed like we were just getting God's giving him this vision, and this is the the message. But we never kind of get, and then the people are gonna. They responded to him saying that no, we're gonna follow in our ways, like we're gonna always do, and follow. I don't see yeah. what, so far at least we haven't gotten a, a response from I haven't seen the other side. Yeah, I think maybe we get some indication as we go, but it's another good comparison with Jeremiah where for, God tells both of these people, you're going to prophesy to people with rebellious, stubborn hearts. Jeremiah suffers by those people responding and throwing him in a pit and doing a lot of really harsh things to him. Ezekiel's going to suffer through his synax. So he suffers through the synax. There's a lot of similarities with Jeremiah. Why do you think these synax are even more bizarre than Jeremiah? Since they're similar to time period, similar people they're giving the message to who are just as hard-hearted. Like, why do you think the, the synax here were so strange, so strong in emphasis? Like, a year he had to lay on his side. Like, you know, you know like... It, over a year, Over right? a year, yeah. 400, whatever. 390. Plus another 40 on the other side. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so this is my guess. And I'm not an Ezekiel scholar. I've never preached this book. And I took this class on Ezekiel in college. That was a long time ago. So I don't have a great recollection of it. But this is my guess. Where Jeremiah is kind of encouraging people, go along with the exile. Go into Babylon. Ezekiel, at least in these chapters, is giving us a message 
for and about the people who resist the exile and remain in Jerusalem. So it's almost like he's saying things are even worse for you because you're refusing to accept God's judgment. And as we'll see in here, these people continue to defile the temple. That, you know, so I, I think because it has so much to do with uh, the removal of God's presence, the defiling of the temple, people resistant, rebellious, it's going to be a little bit more, um, I don't know the right way to say it. It's, it's going to be more involved and more painful in terms of what Ezekiel takes on. Aaron, that's what I was thinking too. I think that, you know, it was the message to the people who were not listening and it was more of a message of repentance and the people were so hard hearted that the, what God was giving them, you know, was just this very extreme, I guess is extreme maybe something we were looking for a very, very strong message that, and it, it gets, and it goes places later in this book. So Matthew, what did you think about the description that Ezekiel saw in his first vision of God's glory, which is a central theme here, leaving the temple? Yeah, I didn't know what to think of that. There was, what, a lion face, an eagle face. What was the third face? There was a third face. can't remember. But then there was a wheel in a wheel. What I didn't I didn't read the footnotes purposely. I just wanted to think about what does a wheel in a wheel mean? And I didn't come up with anything. Do you guys know what a wheel in a wheel is? Well, we know the big one runs by faith (laughs) and the little one runs by the will of God. What? There's an old Negro spiritual called Ezekiel saw a wheel. Yeah, I don't know if there's any particular symbolism to that. I don't know what that symbolism would represent. I think probably we shouldn't be worried about it too much. I think the bigger deal is that these creatures are supporting the throne of God, where the glory of God, which is synonymous with God's presence, is dwelling. It's interesting that he's described as having the likeness of a man. And, uh, you know, take that for what you will, but I think the connection between glory, likeness of man— and then glory departing. I think maybe there's some echoes here of Genesis where man is in the likeness of God, and then they fail to maintain covenant faithfulness with him, and there's a sense in which they're sent away into exile, and the glory of God departs from the Garden of Eden. So I think there are some parallels here that Ezekiel is drawing on and that are inherent in the vision in connection with the garden. I like that connection sin driving God's glory away from where he's dwelling and connected with with punishment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a pattern throughout the Old Testament, and it's pictured here again. And it's all the more stark because you have Israelites who think, because we have the temple, we always have access to God. We're not defeatable. We've got everything we need regardless of what we do. And God shows them Pretty much like we've read before, go now to Shiloh. Look at this other sacred space that I destroyed. Well, that's going to happen here. So now the temple is just this empty shell that's waiting to be destroyed. Yeah, and even worse, it's not just empty, but it's been defiled with false gods. I mean, we'll see that women are worshiping Tammuz, who I think is the husband of Ishtar, the god of heaven that we read about in Jeremiah. 
in Ezekiel 3. I can't tell if this is a vision or if this actually happened, but Ezekiel is instructed to eat a scroll, presumably containing the words of the Lord, and it is sweet as honey right. in his mouth. And And I think that's something for us to reflect upon, that God's word is sweet as honey, though sometimes we have to acquire the taste for it. Israel was going to hear these words with a rebellious heart. Ezekiel would receive them with a heart open to hearing and responding to the word of the Lord. And for that reason, the words are sweet as honey. And I think we need to be people who are like that, who acquire a taste for the word of the Lord. If the people would have consumed them, it probably would have tasted bitter. I think so. Yeah. It's interesting how we can, two different people can drink something like coffee, for instance, and one person can spew it out of their mouth because it tastes so bad to them. But to someone else, it's refreshing and life-giving and invigorating. Mm -hmm. In Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel is set up as a watchman over the house of Israel, and he's supposed to warn these wicked, sinful people. And the Lord tells him that if you warn these people and they don't listen to you, you know, that's on them, but you aren't at fault for that. But if you fail to give them the warning that I've assigned you, then you are going to be liable for their judgment and you will be judged right alongside of them. So he will hold them responsible for their failure to respond. And this reminded me a lot of James 5.20, where James tells people, let the one who turns an erring brother or sister away from sin, and it's really unclear in the grammar, that he will save this person Well, let me read it because it's really not clear, but I think it's almost like James could be echoing Ezekiel saying, look, in the church, if there are people living in sin and you don't warn them about God's judgment, you are just as guilty of their sin as they are. But if you warn them, then you're not guilty anymore. That's almost what this verse in James 5 sounds like to me. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth— and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Well, whose soul is being saved from death? The one who turned the sinner from the error of their way or the one who was turned from the error of their way or both? I I think there's some level of connection to Ezekiel 3 here. I know you're not going to like this, but I heard something very similar this week on the Twitter where someone posted something that, you know, someone else didn't like and they commented, why can't you just mind your own business and like let people do what they want or whatever. And the guy was like, well, I guess that depends on like what you think it means for someone to be like involved, like morally in someone else's sin by not pointing out that they're doing something wrong. I guess that Twitter's not maybe the right forum for that, but it did kind of has that same message. It made me think of, it's like, you know, that is why people don't just never say anything wrong about anything. Mind, yeah. mind your own business. But. Yeah, we have a responsibility to one another. Even people who we know have rebellious and hard hearts. That's Ezekiel's situation. So we shouldn't just ignore it. But we also take those Proverbs into account in Jesus's teaching where you don't rebuke a fool for his folly, lest you be caught up in it. You don't cast pearls before swine. But also we have a responsibility to people. 
Now, sometimes people can, I think, misapply this. So, for example, I was in college and a guy down the hall asked me to come into his room for a conversation. He's like, Aaron, I don't think you're a Christian. I'm like, okay, why do you not think I'm a Christian? And the stuff he listed was all really, really dumb. I'm like, I think you're being really dumb about this. And I think you should need to just mind your own business. And this guy responded, well, I had to say something or else your blood will be on my hands. And he's, of course, referencing Ezekiel (laughs) 3. But I'm just thinking, dude, just because I don't shave every day and just because I listen to music that you didn't like and because my friend and I would watch The Office, which we were not allowed to do according to the rules, he, he took all of that as an indication that I wasn't a Christian. And he thought his responsibility was to tell me I wasn't a Christian or else he would be responsible for me not being a Christian. I think maybe a little bit of a misreading of Ezekiel 3, but also understandable if he genuinely thought I wasn't a believer. I also want to draw attention to Ezekiel 12, verse 21 and following. There's this proverb going around that says, the days keep passing by and every vision fails. So in other words, people are saying, okay, we've heard words of judgment and the days keep happening and God's not doing anything about this. So we can just keep living however we want to. Like God's not going to act. People can keep having visions. They can keep saying they speak for God and it doesn't matter. God does not like that proverb. He does not like that proverb and he puts an end to it. But significantly, what Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 is that there are people who keep saying, you guys say Jesus is coming back and it's never going to happen. So we can live however we want. And Peter responds, the reason that this is taking so long from a human perspective is that God is giving these people a chance to repent. God's kindness is intended to lead them to repentance. And that's exactly what's going on in Ezekiel. God hasn't shown his wrath yet because he's giving them yet another opportunity to repent through a lot of signs, through a lot of uh, prophetic utterances. And there will come a day when the people of our day will learn the same thing that the people in Ezekiel's day did. And when those sayings that Christians keep saying this stuff about God, but it can't be real because nothing's ever changed since the beginning of our time. Well, there will come a day when that proverb will be put to an end. Genuine question. Going way back in Genesis, does is there any correlation to that where, um, you know, the flood was going to come with Noah, but it didn't happen for like 120 years while he was like building his boat? Did Is there anything there where God was giving people time or not really? Because it ended up just being Noah and his family. Yeah, so there there are a lot of different depictions of Noah, like preaching to people as he's building. The biblical text doesn't get into all of that, but I think we can at least speculate that people have a lot of opportunity to hear about God's coming judgment and repent, and they don't take God up on that offer. More than that, I've heard a lot of people talk about how big the ark was and how much extra room there would would have been in the ark for a lot of people to have been able to be rescued and no one responded. Hmm. So I think we can at least speculate and imagine that way. So maybe God's dimensions that he gave allowed 
for people that would have repented, but they just didn't. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that there was plenty of room on the ark for many, many, many people Hmm. to be rescued from judgment. Interesting. Chapter 16 of Ezekiel is one of the most graphic chapters in the Bible. And we obviously won't walk through all of it because we don't have the little E for explicit on our church podcast. And because there are parents of young children who probably listen while their kids are around or in the car. But I would just say that if you read this carefully, it is really embarrassing and embarrassing for Israel. You know, at a minimum, we can say that Israel is depicted as a prostitute, but one who doesn't make people pay for services, but that pays other people to engage in this sexual immorality. So they pervert prostitution. Yeah, even there, like, it's not that they're benefiting anything from it. They have to pay people to be involved in it. Right. And, and then there are some other images there. All of it is pretty, pretty grody. And I think maybe the only grodier chapter in the whole Bible might be Ezekiel 25. You know, but Ezekiel 16 is pretty up there. And again, I think we have another connection to James here with spiritual adultery. This text talks about idols of the heart. You know, so I think there's a lot going on here that connects to James chapter 5, where people are indicted as adulteresses because of their unfaithfulness to God. Finally, I just want to point out that over and over and over again in these first 17 chapters, the Lord wants people to know that he is truly the Lord. And you'll see that phrase over and over again, that then you will know that I am the Lord or that I, the Lord, have spoken. And and even poetically in 1724, then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. And it just reminds us of the judgment that was poured out on Egypt and Pharaoh so that everyone would know that I am the Lord. This time, instead of releasing Israel from slavery, they're being sent into slavery and exile, but all for the same purpose. As we transition to the New Testament in Hebrews, we are in Hebrews chapter 9 through the end of the chapter. Now, to be clear, Matthew, are you saying that we're transitioning to the New Testament in Hebrew instead of Greek or to the New Testament letter to the Hebrews? We're transitioning to the New Testament in the LXXXX Hebrew. I thought so. Now we're on the same page. Yeah. And so are all of our listeners. Right who are previously looking at their English Bibles, like the Christian Standard Bible or something, now they're in their Hebrew LXXMTW. Well, it's LXXXX Hebrew. Ah, okay. Now we're on the same page. Yeah, You can get that on Amazon or anywhere that sells major books or sold. Seems like this first part is pretty much just saying how awesome Jesus is. I enjoyed that. Yeah, so the first part of Hebrews is saying how awesome Jesus is. Go, that, ahead, go it, ahead and say something else. In my like in like my fifty two weeks in the word, like that was my reflection. It's like summarize the beginning of Hebrews. I'm like, that is how I'm gonna summarize it. Jesus is pretty awesome, and that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Talks about something about a high priest. I liked this one part in the message in 
the beginning of chapter six where the author is saying that you know you need, you need to be mature and in Christ the message says that it's like come on you have to leave this preschool finger painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art grow up in Christ that said it that said that pretty well what an artistic way of saying that Ooh. really drives the message home you know it is interesting I know we've talked about this before but what you were just talking about this different order of priesthood it struck me again that just saying that Melchizedek just the idea that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham like that's very strong language for these Israelites to to hear yeah seriously but if you remember he's the one who brought out the bread and the wine to Abraham he's the priest of Salem the priest of peace Shalom right and the the righteous king Melech king Sadiq righteousness so you have your priestly king here who brings peace in the bread and the wine who of course as we get into hebrew has some level of connection with jesus we have that connection later with the the hebrews 11 that's where most of the the notes that i have are where you have all of these different people who had faith but yeah that's really the meat of the section yeah, I would hesitate to call it the meat of the section because Hebrews is presenting us Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. And Hebrews 11 is about the people who live by faith. So they're kind of like lesser when you put them right next to Jesus. They're so great to look at, but they're maybe not the meat of the passage, so to speak. I mean, you know, agree to disagree. (laughs) I'm not rebuking you, but I am disagreeing with you, to be clear. And to be clear, we'll agree to disagree. That's fine. Live and let live. (laughs) I'm working really hard to relate to you with love and affection and um, kindness. I'm helping you grow in sanctification. Do you think these examples of faith that we see in chapter 11 can help us to read the Old Testament better, like to not um, like moralize some of the narratives? Well, I think some of the narratives certainly exist for moral lessons. So we shouldn't say we should never moralize, but we shouldn't only moralize. And maybe that's not the most significant thing. I I definitely agree with that. Uh, Or draw the incorrect moral lesson from one of the stories. Yeah, and we don't want to draw incorrect moral lessons either, though that happens all the time and really, really easily. Right. I, I think here we have an example of how the New Testament authors can appeal to the Old Testament in various ways. And, of course, these characters are flawed, they have weaknesses, and this author is not drawing those things out in these moments. So... It's a limited perspective on these characters, but it's a helpful one that communicates his point. So when he talks about the cloud of witnesses, um, these are these individuals who witness what a life of faith looks like with all its ups and downs, but its ultimate goal, which is um, existence with God, commitment to him, to his promises, and living faithfully before him. What does it mean at the end of the chapter when it says that that these people would not have reached perfection without us? All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. 
That's a really tough verse, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I would think that maybe um, the they would not have been made perfect without us doesn't mean without us helping them get there, but without our company, without all of us being there together. So I think the whole point is that in Jesus, we're united together and we're being made perfect through the perfect son and we reach the perfect city, the perfection of God's plan together, not some of us doing it our own way, you know, them through Old Testament-y ways and us through New Testament-y ways, but all of us together in Christ. Commenting on the end of this passage, Andreas Kostenberger writes, The message is clear. True, God-pleasing faith trusts in the promises of God, often long before they become a reality, on the basis of nothing other than the faithful character of God. If God is faithful, and he is, he is worthy of our trust. What's more, the author notes that there is another reason why OT believers didn't yet receive what was promised. The fact that, apart from us, NT believers, they should not be made perfect, this shows the solidarity between OT and NT believers. Both believe in the same God, the God who promised Abraham, the God who delivered Moses, and the God who keeps his promises, Jesus. So it's anticipating the future unity of God's people. Yeah, I think so. I'd like to think that what I had said is in keeping with what the Dr. Kostenberger says. Sounds like you may have even read something by him or studied under him. Yeah, not Hebrews, actually, though I have read his portion in his forthcoming biblical theology on Hebrews, but I don't recall reading this. But I'm glad that he's written on it. And maybe this is an opportune moment to let people know about his handbook on Hebrews through Revelation that's published by Baker Academic. There are companion volumes as well. The Acts through, um, what comes right before Hebrews? Shebrews. <laughs> I should know this because we just <laughs> talked about it. Acts uh, Peter? through it's Philemon. Uh, that volume is published or written by Thomas Schreiner. And then the Gospels is written by Jesus. Benjamin Gladwell. Glad. Is that a name? It's just Glad. I think it's right? Benjamin. Oh, it's just Glad. Yeah. I'm combining Malcolm. I think it's Gladstone. Gladwell. Um, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. The revisionist history, really interesting author guy. But it's just Benjamin Glad. Yeah, so I think these Baker handbooks on the New Testament, three volumes, really helpful maybe for reading through the Bible in a year. They have some Old Testament volumes that are maybe a little dated. I'm hoping that they'll update them and kind of match them with these New Testament volumes that were just released. And since I'm sure Baker Academic is listening to this podcast, please send us books, specifically me, you can address it to AJ, and and I'll, I'll make sure those get taken care of. Absolutely. I just thought it was very practical, lots of practical advice and which is in keeping with this book being five different sermons or something right i don't know about it being five different sermons there are five warning passages i think it's probably one cohesive sermon it takes about 45 minutes to read it's described as a message of exhortation so i think that this message in chapter 13 verse 22 would indicate that it's one singular message but with these five warning passages that help structure it along the way
I want to tell you about a special event coming up on our church calendar on December 16th. We will host an event called The Lord of the Rings and the Hope of Christmas. I'm really excited about this event. We'll have more details to share with you in our next podcast, along with information for how you can register. At this event, we'll have all kinds of trivia, prizes, and I'll give a brief talk about pictures of hope in the Lord of the Rings and how that leads us to better understand and appreciate the hope of Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. The the message had this don't be like Esau. I forget what he uh, he sold his birthright for soup because his god is his belly. It it says this Esau syndrome colon trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short term appetite. You know well how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a good description of our lives where very often we want to satisfy our passions and immediate desires while acting in a way that's contrary to God's designs and desires for us. And in the moment, it seems like the best course of action because we lack the faith that we should live in God's world, God's way. And then when we reap the fruit of death that comes from our sin— we wish that we had God's blessing instead, but we're already tasting of the death that we brought into the world through our Esau syndrome action. It says that it's too late for repentance. Does that mean that he was trying to repent, or is the author of Hebrews trying to tell us the difference between regret and repentance? Or it's just like, you know, in the context in Genesis 27... It, you know, God had just chosen Jacob and not Esau. So so is the instruction here to repent for our sin or just not be like Esau in the first place? It's not a just not trying to distinguish between regret and repentance, but just don't be like Esau in general. Yeah, so I think this example of Esau in Hebrews twelve seventeen with the comment that he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. I think it's probably a reference backward to an earlier warning passage in chapter 10, verse 26, where the author warns, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And I think the point is that God has made a way for us to be restored to him and to tap into his blessing and design. But if we reject that, then there's no other alternative. So if we turn away from Christ, there is no other alternative. So there's no other opportunity for forgiveness. There's no other sacrifice for sins. And I think he's just showing how Esau turned aside from the one way. And it's a reminder that God often deals in in both inclusive and exclusive ways. So there's an inclusive call to all to participate in God's exclusive plan. But if you turn aside from that exclusive plan, then there's no other recourse. And it's not like he only did that in this one area of rejecting his his birthright, but he's referred to multiple times as sexually immoral because he had multiple wives and stuff like that. Like there's other reasons for him to be a life that's 
not running with God's way of life. Yeah, I think he's ordered his life to go against the grain of God's ordering of the universe. And this is very Esau-like. I think if you, we went back to Genesis, we'd recall the account where he had married these, I think, Canaanite women, and then he realized his parents didn't like them, and so then he wished that he had their blessing instead of their disfavor. So over and over, you see a guy who makes choices that satisfy his impulses, and they don't lead to blessing, and he wants the blessing then, and it's too late. We thank you for joining us here on the Resurrection Church Podcast, reading through the Bible in a year. If you have any other questions or would like more information about our church, you can find that at resurrectionmn.org.